0: Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield podcast. Delighted that you've joined me. Let's dive right in. I want to talk to you about the coronavirus and not so much the technical sides of it. I'm not qualified to do that, but more how we should respond and what it might mean to us. Let me put this in a seven-point list. I think that'll help us digest it. First of all, uh, there's, there's no question that we need to learn from this particular experience that this kind of thing happens in history from time to time. For most of us who are, let's say, between our 20s and our 50s or our 60s, it hasn't happened much in our lives. We've had SARS crises, we've had you know, bird flu crises, we've had all kinds of things like that. For the most part in the West, it didn't take a huge toll. But it does happen and it has happened often throughout history and it is severe. You know, at around 1918, at the end of World War I, There was a horrible global influenza epidemic, and it cost between 70 and 100 million lives. I want you to think about that. People would contract it. Uh, They would begin to cough up blood. Um, It was ghastly. They would strangle to death. They'd be dead within 24 hours. It was really horrible. You should maybe do a little reading. Um, but between 70 and 100 million worldwide died. And that was just about 100 years ago, 1918. Now it's, 19, now it's 2020. So it's good for us to know. If, uh, I'm going to talk a lot about what we can learn from this crisis because this crisis is already happening as I record this. Uh, it's already going to you know, take its course. But we, there are things we should learn. There are things we should keep in mind. And so the first is that this kind of thing does happen. And with the amount of travel that we have in the world, um, with the amount of international exchange, et cetera, notice, for example, that this came out of China uh, and it's, our, it's affecting us worldwide. Uh, this is just the way it is. You know, I, I read a statistic not too long ago that two and a half million people are in the air at any moment. They're actually on airplanes in the air. Well, uh, a good chunk of those people are going to foreign countries. They're carrying whatever was in their country to a foreign country. And that's just the way it is. It's the way it's always been. So the first of my seven points is that we keep in mind that this kind of thing happens. Kind of may seem unnecessary to say that since it is happening, but it's important for me to bring a little bit of my perspective as a historian and just say, um, this is not unusual. This is not some visited judgment upon us. This is not some uh, outlier. This has happened all throughout history, plague, sicknesses, Uh, The spread of disease on a large scale, it does happen, and it's going to happen again. I I, I would expect that we're going to see it again uh, in the lifetimes of most of us. Number two is this. At this point, this thing's simply going to have to run its course. There are wise things for government to do. Obviously, we want the CDC and the medical community to be uh, looking for antidotes. Uh, but for the most part, this thing is going to have to run its course. And we should keep in mind, by the way, is to, this is both to help us defend as well as to stave off panic. That there's there's some good news about this. First of all, children seem to develop antibodies very quickly. Uh, children are not the ones dying for the most part. In fact, I don't know the, of the death of a children of a child worldwide. Now, I, I want to say very quickly, I am not a medical expert. I do not have a medical degree, um, and and that's not my background at all. I'm just simply going on other people's reports. But thus far. Uh, It's not children that are targeted by this thing. In fact, when they get it, uh, they tend to develop antibodies very quickly and come through it. It's also not what we might call just normal middle-aged adults, people from their 20s to, let's say, 50s. Um, They tend to get it. It tends to be a severe flu kind of feeling, and then uh, they come through it. In fact, there was an article in the Washington Post just this past week, um, the title of which is something like, I have coronavirus, and thus far it's not that big a deal. So I'm not saying that's the case in every case, um, but certainly what's happening is people are getting it. uh, They're getting on the other side of it. They're getting completely free of it, uh, and their bodies adapt. That's usually what happens, and thank God Uh, This coronavirus is not uh, as severe as many of these plagues and and, uh, disease, uh, big disease episodes have been. We're in very good shape. The people who are targeted, the people who are most at risk are the elderly. And so we need to come around them. We need to help them with uh, all the preventative measures that, that need to happen. We need to keep them maybe a little bit in isolation. In fact, some of the places in the U.S. where they are uh, monitoring most closely are in nursing homes. Um, and uh, the one many of, of those are on the West Coast. So, uh, again, not trying to play it lightly, not trying to be trite. But the fact is this is pretty much going to happen to run its course. We're not likely to have an antidote before this thing runs its course. Um, We'll have preventatives against such things in the future. We'll learn about it. We'll learn about spread. Uh, We'll learn about all types of things. Uh, But the fact is that this thing's pretty much going to have to run its course. Thankfully, it's not affecting most adults in any terminal way. Uh, Children seem to be especially resilient at this point. uh, And it's really the elderly we need to keep an eye on and really work with. So number three are one of the practical things that we can do. Well, you already know what they are. Apparently, masks don't do much good. Um, Hand sanitizers are really, really important because they're portable and we can use them multiple times a day. Uh, I recommend something with north of a 60% alcohol content or or one that doesn't have alcohol content but has that level of strength and also some some I'm sorry, moisturizer if you're going to use it a lot. Now, I'm I'm basing that recommendation on the recommendation of my doctor. Uh, So certainly, again, nothing in this podcast can be construed to be my expert opinion. Uh, But... Uh, the the things that make the biggest difference, apparently we picked this up physically. Good to know. It doesn't just fly through the air. Uh, it doesn't just come through body fluids like some other uh, diseases and Uh, Situations like this that we've had. Apparently, uh, we can contract it by touch primarily. So hand sanitizer, extreme washing of hands. I just uh, flew yesterday from D.C. through Detroit down to Nashville, and uh, I washed my hands maybe 10 times in the course of the day. And that's not just being, you know, extreme. I don't have a germaphobe. Um, But between that, hand sanitizer, I'm pretty sure that I traversed all those airports and got home, you know, pretty much germ-free. I showered once I got home. A uh, good hot shower—that's uh, the kind of thing you can do. So hand sanitizers, frequent hand washing, and there's another thing, and this is—you know—this is getting very, very practical. But um, the, some of the medical folks that I've talked to, and I rely on, frankly, for more medical input when it comes to what I do for men. But I've asked them about this as well, uh, and they say that a lot of a lot of what's causing people trouble uh, is that they have a habit of sticking their hands in their eyes, and their mouth, and their—you know, et cetera—that they pick at their teeth, that they lick their fingers, that they—there's just a kind of of a, frankly, an (laughs) ill-mannered approach to constantly picking at themselves and poking at themselves and putting things in their their mouths and stuff like that, Uh, the more that you can not only keep your hands clean, but keep your hands away from yourself, so to speak, uh, don 't eat chips, use forks, you know things like that uh, don 't be putting your fingers in your mouth don 't be picking at your teeth don 't be picking your nose don 't be don 't be penetrating the orifices of the body with your fingers um, because you get to the membranes that can be infected when you do that and so uh, that's one of the disciplines we can teach the young, teach children. You know, they go to school, they got their hands over their, all over their desks, they're holding other people's lunch boxes, what have you, they're joining hands to walk down the hall, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, they sit there, bite their fingernails, and chew on pencils and all the things that put, put, Stuff into our mouths uh, that then allow us to take in germs. So all of that kind of uh, thing that we tend to think of as manners, but now becomes a matter of health, would be good for us to teach the young and practice ourselves. But mainly, it's just deep sanitation. Apparently, it's just deep uh, body cleanse, cleanliness. That's that's a lot of what doctors are saying. That's what the people who advise me are saying. And so, and that's that's of course what we've learned, what we're learning. I'll have to say too that when I flew through Washington Reagan Airport through Detroit and then down to Nashville, I maybe saw five people with masks on the whole time. Um, Masks are not apparently what people are turning to, and that's probably because the experts have told us they don't make much difference. What really makes the difference is keeping your hands clean, keeping your body clean, and keeping your hands off and out of yourself. That's what makes a big, big difference. Now, It's very important to me that we learn about this. We learn from this for the future. So my fourth point is this. Uh, I have always recommended to people a grandma strategy. Uh, I've always been very big on the idea that we need to learn from our grandparents or great-grandparents who went through the Great Depression. Um, Grandma used to always have uh, a pantry of food. She used to always have some cash stuffed in a mattress or hidden somewhere. Uh, She always had the tools that she needed. She had things canned. She knew how to can. She knew how to cook. Um, She knew how to grow a garden. She had the skills that she needed. Grandpa could build things, create things, shoot things, kill things. Um, They had the skills to survive and they stored things. It wasn't just that they were traumatized by the Great Depression, but they had decided to live their lives with margin. This is the thing I want you to hear. To live their lives with margin. If you had completely locked my grandparents in their house at a certain point in their lives, they probably could have lived for months just in their house, just in their garden, uh, just in the things they immediately had around them. They had everything from weapons and tools uh, to seeds to things stored away in a pantry. They had a big full pantry for two older people. You couldn't figure out why they had so much food. Uh, They could have helped the neighbors and taken care of themselves probably for months. Uh, and that's what a grandma strategy is. It's simply assuming that not everything that we need should be bought with five minutes, you know, five minutes ahead of schedule. That we should have margin. That we should have closets filled with things. That we should have skills. That we should have some money laid aside. That we should anticipate. Just, just imagine an emergency. What would happen if you had no water? What would happen if you had no electricity? Uh, what would happen if I don't know? Some kind of violence was going on in the streets, or there was a flood, or there was a hurricane, or there was who knows what. What would you do? Uh, Do you have a basic medical kit? Do you have the basics that you need? It's really pretty simple to do these days. And so, obviously, there are websites that help you with this. Obviously, most of you listening to this can figure this out pretty much on your own. You get with your family, you imagine the worst, you make a list, you start buying things. Um, I know people who make it as simple as peanut butter and crackers and bottles of water. I'm assuming you'd want more than that for a while. But given the disasters that we have in our society, I think it's uh, it's wise for us to learn from them and to realize that wise people, people who plan to make a difference, people who want to, who love their families and want to take care of everybody in their families, um, should have some margin, should live with some some storage, so to speak. We can laugh at it as a survivalist thing. We can laugh at it as a you know kind of an extreme, weird second coming of Jesus kind of you know imbalance that some people have. Um, but I'll have to tell you that I think it's just basic wisdom, and that it ought to, and that anybody listening to me can observe this. So we might talk about this more in the future. Certainly, there are things that you can look at online. Don't get weird. Don't get strange. Uh, don't go into hyper survivalist mode. You don't need to dig yourself a cave in the backyard. But you know, most of what you need to survive, most of what you will have come against you, is about a month about a month of cushion. So for example, do you have uh, some big industrial bottles of uh, the large bottles, the giganto bottles, uh, like liter level bottles of hand sanitizer? That that's that looks like it's going to be pretty valuable right now. Well, that's the kind of thing that can sit in a closet for a long time and never be in your way. But when you suddenly need it, or when you want to make sure that everybody comes in your home is using hand sanitizer, et cetera, et cetera, you see what you're dealing with. So you're smart enough to figure this out. The main thing is to decide, to do it. So the grandma strategy, as I call it, which is not extreme survivalism, but it's just the wisdom of creating a margin in life and a margin in your money and your household goods and the things that you might need to, to survive, let's say a, a flood or a, uh, the devastation of a hurricane for 30 days. Uh, that's what you want to be thinking about. Uh, number five is maybe the most important thing I have to say, and that is that these can be very, very positive times for everybody in our lives. Um it is, you know, I one of the things I I've most enjoyed in my life uh is interviewing some people who lived through the Great Depression. And though they were tight times and though they were difficult, they remembered their family life during that time in just glowing, tearful terms. Their parents had said, yeah, the country's going through a tough time. We're all gonna pull together, we're gonna get through this, this is gonna make us stronger. You kids will remember this forever. And uh, and it will mark you and shape your character, and you're going to be better for it. And so let's love each other. Um, and some of the families that I, that I remember being told about, uh, there were family storytelling contests and music contests and listening to the radio together, all gathered around when mom made some punch and some cookies. You know, all of that was a big thing. It made unbelievable memories. It strengthened them. It gave them intestinal fortitude. It gave them character. It brought them together as a family. Um, You know, I don't want to use trite motivational language, but you know, tough times never last, but tough people do. And that's what we learn in these sorts of seasons. And so a lot of what you need to focus on is the spirit that you emit during this time. I don't mean to be weird about that, but... You know, uh, are you confident? Are you, are you pulling people together? Are you loving everybody? Are you emitting a, a level of courage? Or are you freaking out your children and rattling everybody and running around like a crazy person? Um, there, there's, there, there, there's the spirit of the times, is what will be remembered. That's what I want you to know. The spirit of the times, the spirit, the way, the spirit with which you go through this and the way your family goes through this, that's what's going to be remembered. And I've actually had elderly people whom I've spent a lot of time with say to me that the some really the finest times in their lives were when they were going through the Great Depression. Their family was tight. They were keeping the wolf at the door. Everybody was working, contributing. They were relying on God. They were turning to each other. Uh, they were building community. Uh, every bite was precious. Every every time mom would make a pie, it was like a like Christmas. Um, and they, they really, when they looked back, they said other than you know my children, maybe my marriage, you know. Some things like that. That was maybe the finest time of my whole life. Think about that. During a horrible time, because of the spirit with which the spirit they were feeding on as they went through those hard times, uh, they were able to say later, this was the greatest time of my life. Keep that in mind and be aware we will go through such things again. There will be tornadoes. There will be hurricanes. uh, There will be floods. uh, There will be future epidemics and things of that nature. Um, Things will bad things do happen and we need to be ready. But a lot of our preparation is, oh sure, it has to do with all the practical things I've just mentioned, but it also has to do with the spirit with which we go through a thing and the spirit we offer others. My sixth point, very briefly, is be aware this will happen again. I've said it repeatedly through these points, but be aware this will happen again. Uh, We go through this once. We learn some things. We realize we're not prepared. The country makes some mistakes. I have to tell you, I think it's kind of funny that Corona beer has decreased its sales by about 40% because people are just freaked out about the word. You know, we get past all those oddities and those, you know, the the folly of, of this time. But we realize we're going to go through this stuff again in some way. Let's be ready. So a lot of the meaning of what we're going through now is the future. Are you able to be prepared for the future? And then finally, number seven is this. Community is the key. Community is the key. Don't think in terms of going through this alone. Uh, don't think in terms of facing future disasters alone. One of the things that concerns me about modern American society, for example, is how isolated we all are, how disconnected people are, um, how it's possible for someone to live for years in a community and never have a meaningful relationship, never have a person in for a glass of water, never take a gift to a neighbor, never never offer help and never be able to receive help from anybody nearby. Community is going to be the key to all of these things. So we're going to get through this. Uh, This thing's going to run its course. Uh, I won't make any uh, any guesses or estimates as as to how fast it's going to run its course. I've heard uh, medicos say uh, a number of things, but you know we all know that we're going to go through it. There are going to be some more deaths. Uh, There is going to be some more fear. Uh, There will be some places I'm sure temporarily put under martial law, not in the U.S. but elsewhere in the world. the smart people at the CDC and the World Health, World Health Organization and others will figure out what happened here, and if we're wise, we'll prepare for future such things. But the main lessons: these things happen. The spirit with which you confront them is the key, and be prepared in the sense of a grandma strategy—not a fearful, angry, you know, armed, violent kind of approach—but in the sense of I want to love well those I am responsible for. I want to make a difference in the community, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna be ready next time. We can learn, we can grow, we can be better. This is, I think, what coronavirus is going to mean for this generation. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.